0: You are tuning in to the True North Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. How's everyone doing today? I'm telling you, you're my favorite group. First service, how you doing? They're half awake. Second service, they kind of had a cup of coffee. You guys have had breakfast, lunch. And you're ready for church, man. My uh, so good to have you. My name's Mark. Wasn't that fun watching all these kiddos get dedicated to Jesus? Man, it's so. On. I remember I used to be a part of a church, and that was back when all the kids wore like all the girls had little satin dresses on, and pastor think, "Oh, she's a slippery one," you know, and uh, and uh, they'd almost slip through your hands. So, uh, but uh, love, parents, proud of you. Uh, we'll do what we can um, to to partner and come alongside you, and and. Uh, in fact, you know, we're, we're in a series, we're starting a brand new series this, uh, t- this week and the next couple of weeks um, on marriage. In fact, for better or for worse. In fact, I got married once. Yeah. And like someone said, I learned my lesson. No, I'm done. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I have a friend, I have a friend at church that uh, every time he meets an engaged couple, he goes, Oh, I got married once, learned my lesson. Yeah, they said you're not complete until you're married, and when you get married, you're finished. <laughs> um, and I was like, D- why would you do that to a young and engaged couple, right, you know? And so, I always tell people, I'm the head of the house, but my wife's the neck that turns the head." And and have uh, been married for t- almost 26 years, love my wife, and I'm in trouble because I said some things the first two services She's upset with. Um, so, this service, in fact, it goes for three or four hours. It's because I'm praying for healing. Um, no, just kidding. Um, no, I talked about how I have single daughters and that, um, never mind. I'm going to go back to my notes because I don't, I'm going to get in more trouble. You know, we're, a series called Marriage Today. We're going to talk about um, finances. And the reason we're going to talk about finances is, is the number one, Time Magazine did a, a, a poll recently and said the number one reason, number one area of conflict in marriage is over finances. Anyone here ever had a, a, stressful time in a relationship because finances were involved? Raise your hand real high. Anyone, it's ever, any, any conflict ever come into your home because of finances? in your parents' life or your life. Throw your parents under the bus. How many of you guys ever saw your parents fight over money, right? Um, and so finances. Gallup poll, uh, uh, in a recent survey, found that 56% over half of the divorces that happen are because of finances. Stress. And so we thought it would be wise, as, as, we, as we kind of prepared to work on a marriage series, to go, let's talk about finances. You know, when you get married, it's till death do you part. So we titled this "Tell Debt Do Us Part." And so, how how do we deal with the stress? And and for some of you in here, you might have a whole lot of debt right now, and you're going like, it's the stress on your marriage. Is why someone's got a second job try to make the ends uh, make ends meet, and, and it could cause a lot of stress in your home. Or maybe you're here, you're young military, and you're like, I this is awesome, man. I just I think the bank just sent me this thing that said I I I can like I I can get cards. Well, that's not always good. Just because they send you something in the mail, say you've qualified doesn't mean you're qualified to be qualified. And so today we want to look at some biblical foundations for finances. How do you think the Bible is a great place to start? And we look at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs was written by the wealthiest man who has ever lived. His wealth compared to, I mean, the guy, the, the, the guy's house took three years longer to build than the temple. Solomon built, Solomon t- the t- it took him three years longer to build his house than the temple. I mean, if MTV was around back then, it would have been a, the crib of all cribs, okay? Um, and, and so I want to look today at Proverbs. I want to look at, extract four different Proverbs and look at them for financial principles. And the the first one I want to look at is in in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 to 24, it says this. And, And at first read, you're like, this isn't finances, but let's walk through it and I'll talk about it. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Be careful attention, or give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Now let's walk back. Solomon is, is, is writing this uh, during an agrarian or agricultural society. Now, obviously, most of us, I can tell you right now, if you try to be a chicken farmer in Fairbanks, Alaska, you're probably going to go broke, okay? If you try to raise hogs, you try to have flocks or whatever, okay? Uh, you're, you're, but, but, so, so, but he's talking to an agricultural con- culture, and he's saying, hey, know the condition of your flocks, be c- pay careful attention to your herds. And, and then there's a, there's a a semicolon there because it says for riches, for the, for the wealth that comes from your herds and your flocks, they're not going to endure forever. Now let's back up. What's the principle here? Know the condition of your flocks. That word know, look it up in the Greek language, it literally means to become face-to-face, look them in the eyes. Now you're going to think this is weird. My dad was a dairy farmer and my dad could tell. If a cow was going to be sick, he goes, I, yeah, it's eyes don't look good today. Now, he was a farmer. He knew what to look for. He knew how to look at the eyes. In fact, in the 80s, when, my, when, when uh, uh, there was, you know, interest rates were like 12%, 13%. And my dad just did a major remodel and, and put some new equipment in the barn. And I remember, you know, 7% interest sounds like a lot right now. There was a day it was much higher than that. We'll live through this cycle, too. Um, but, 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 but I remember my dad was one of the early ones in Tillamook, Oregon. How many of you know, Tillamook's the best place to get cheese or ice cream from? Pray for my life group. Someone in my life group brought Briar's ice cream to our life group the other day. And I'm like, Lord, heal them. I don't know who would buy Briar's ice cream when you have Tillamook. Yes, it's a dollar cheaper, but there's a difference between, you don't put bad food in a racehorse, right? Okay, um, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna come to my life group anymore wow I won't do that next service either. there's no oh, there's no another service um but 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 my dad was early on in the process of mechanizing farming and stuff and my dad literally you know how there's fit bits now or garments and I mean I I have a Garmin and it tells me like it, it literally tells me when I'm around my foster son because my stress level goes up it tests stress and all these things, and heartbeats and heart rates, all this stuff, and, and my sleep patterns. Well, back in the '80s, they had these computerized little neck chains that went around cows, almost like cow Fitbits, and and it would test different aspects of the cow. And my dad could go to his computer. It was back a pretty simple computer, and do a printout. And my dad could tell a lot about where his herd was by looking at the printout. The computer would go up to it would it, it would it would hit this little computer thing, and the computer would tell. Uh, the, go back to the, my dad's office and the, and the computer would tell how much dra- grain to drop for this cow based upon her milk, pounds per month of milking or whatever, okay? But it also did this. My, it could test and tell my dad when my, the cows weren't eating the food that was there. So my dad would know, you know, every, every couple days he'd print it out and go, okay, this cow needs some, we got to take a look at this cow. Is it sick? Is, is there a problem going on here? Why? Because my dad knew healthy cows produced healthy what milk, which produces healthy ice cream for Fairbanks. But besides that, but the, the issue here, what, what, what Solomon is saying is be sure to know the condition. Give careful attention. And that word attention, literally in Hebrew, look it up if you don't believe me, look at means it, It's almost like you go below the skin and get to the heart and the soul of that. That's like, well, I didn't know if I had a cow I had not know about its soul. But what Solomon was saying to an agricultural culture was this you need to get face to face with your herds. Look eye to eye. Get below the skin. Know about. And so on. the first law of finances, if you want to understand biblical financial principles from Solomon, is number one, number one law keep good records. Now we're talking about finances, we're not talking about cows, we're not talking about chickens. But we are talking about, do you know the health of the resources you have that can produce wealth or be gone before you know it, and you sit there and go, I I thought it was healthy. I thought things were going good. And now it's not there. So law number one, keep records. This is the principle of accounting. The principle of accounting. Know the condition of your finances. No, pay careful attention to the hell. Keep good records. It's a starting point. You got to have a starting point. And, and, the, and, and, and here's uh, see, ignorance plus, plus easy credit equals America. Let me explain. Ignorance plus easy credit equals America. Because in America, well, they they said they'd give me a loan. I qualified. Obviously, the banks know what I can handle. Just because someone sends you a credit card application does not mean it's prudent to open it up and use it. Got to keep good records. There's four, four areas to keep good records. Number one, four areas. Number one, you ought to know what you own. You ought to know what you own. How many cows are in your herd? How many chickens in your flock? Do you know what you own? Number two, you need to know what you owe. There's a mantra in America, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. We have to know what we owe. Number three, you need to know what you earn. And I've had to explain to my daughters If you owe more than you earn, there's a problem. And the problem's not a lack of plastic. The problem's a lack of wisdom. Gotta know what you owe. And here's the deal. If your outgo, what you owe exceeds your earnings, your income, the upkeep of what you own will be your downfall. Can I say that again? If your outgo, what you owe... Is greater than what you earn, your income, then the upkeep of what you own is your downfall. So you got to know the condition. Keep good records. It's it's the principle of accounting. You got to know what you own, what you owe, what you earn. And you need to know where your money goes. See, money talks. It says, see ya. How many want to know it's like, you know, there's times, you know, my, my, my daughters would go, I, I just don't know where all my money went. Well, there's a problem there. You need to know the condition of your flocks. If they're eating more than the grain supply has, you have a problem. And, 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 and Solomon is saying, there's a principle here. Keep good records. You can't get sloppy and you got to know what you own. What you owe, what you earn, and you need to know where your money goes. It's called wisdom, it's called insight, it's called being smart. And and so, law number one is keep good records. See, here's the thing some of us don't want to keep good records because if we keep good records, we have to be honest that maybe our lifestyle might need to change because we're living beyond our means. And see, some people get accustomed to a lifestyle that they cannot sustain. And and, and so they're overwhelmed. And so so, so the the first law is keep good records. You gotta know, it's a a principle of accounting. You gotta know the the, the, the health of what you have. Number two, it's, it's, it's it's the law called plan your spending. Plan your spending. It's the principle of planning, or or I I could say really the principle of budgeting. Um, Now, now budgeting's no fun at times, is it? See, my wife and I, um, my wife and I have not always made good money. Um, But we've always had, in fact, when I married, when I got engaged to my wife, I was the guy that graduated from high school, excuse me, college with no debt. I paid all my college off. I didn't get a full ride, but I worked on the farm all my life and I had a savings account. And so when I graduated from college, I had no, I had zero debt. My my wife was from a different family. They they didn't have the means. They didn't have a, they, they didn't grow up on a farm where I was cheap labor, but I was at least labor that got paid. And so my wife. My wife's family went through some rocky seasons at times and my wife's family, well, if the card came in, they just get another card. That meant, oh, I have 5,000 more to spend. So I got married to Heidi and when I got married to Heidi or got engaged, Heidi had multiple credit cards. I said, well, well, with debt. I said, well, why do you have debt? Well, my family had a really rough year so I, I was able to give my family Christmas two years ago. I said, but you're still paying for Christmas two years later? And we just got a little bit of a, you know, a a conversation. I said, honey, we're going to pay that off and we're going to cut your cards up. Well, what happened? I said, no, I'll pay it off. We're going to cut your cards up. We don't need cards. And my wife and I, now we have credit cards. We, 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 We use them to leverage for airline miles, things like that, right? But we don't carry, we don't carry debt. We haven't carried credit card debt our entire marriage for 26 years. And there were times we shut off our, we shut off uh, uh, our internet for a season and we went to go to a coffee shop. There was things that were tight fine, and, and there was season we didn't have any TV on at all. There was things we cut because we couldn't afford it. Now everyone else had it. Other people had it. But guess what? We couldn't afford it because Mr. Budget said it doesn't work. We blame it on Mr. Budget. And, and, and so, see, do you realize that Proverbs says it this way, the plans... Say plans. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. But the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And what Solomon is saying is there's going to be people who have profit and do well. It doesn't say there'll be people who make a lot of money. Now, there's some people will make a lot of money, but it says that plans of the diligent lead to profit. But, 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 but but the lack of wisdom. There's people out there that that have haste, and that haste will lead to poverty. Another thing, haste will lead to waste. There's poverty. I think what he's saying is, is, is he's saying haste leads to poverty. In other words, there's sometimes you make decisions that are wrong. It's called impulse decisions. I need this. I want this. Everyone else has it. And the problem with a lot of folks with debt is this. People want to keep up with the Joneses. People they don't know, so they buy what they don't need to impress people they don't even know, and they might not even like them if they did know them. Because, you know, uh, do you realize that the average uh, American home has $5,500 worth of debt? I mean, like credit card debt. But I, I don't know if you know this. I Googled it this week. What's, I, I Googled the highest credit card debt in the state, in America. You know what state leads the nation in credit card debt? Alaska. We are too... Times the national average for credit card debt. Give yourself a pat on the back. <laughs> the average Alaskan has $11,295 $11, worth of debt. Well, it's okay, we got our dividend. It's okay, we can pay it back. Friends, we have to plan our spending. And I, I want to propose to you in our culture with credit card debt, they hand, they hand out credit cards, student loans, the average student loan in America is $39,000. And I'm all for student loans. I've got an earned doctorate. I paid for my education because I think education is important. The problem is, is when you take the loan out, you have to get a job and pay it back. And, and then, and then, and then, car loans is twenty. The average American owns twenty thousand dollars on their vehicle. Um, and, and so, we have to be careful. And so, how do we plan our spending? How do we make sure we make good decisions when it comes to debt? When it make, good decisions when it comes to spending, we have to learn how to budget. And I think there's three principles for budgeting. See, the easiest thing you can do is go in debt. I want to know it's easy to go in debt. It's hard to get out of debt. It's easy to have, and, and well, the, bank, the bank will give me the money. Just because the bank will give you money, it's because they wanna make more money off of you. Just because they say you qualify for a loan does not mean you should be qualified to think you deserve the loan. And, and, and so it's no sweat to go in debt, it takes sweat to get out of debt. And I think debt is a little bit like alcoholism or drug addiction. I can handle it. I can stop whenever I want. But once you get in the trap of living in a lifestyle beyond your means, you got to keep living there. And now you're paying on interest. And it just, just snowballs. And so, so how do you build a budget? Let's look at this real quick. Like Proverbs 20, 21, verse 20. Write this verse down. It says, when, it says, the wise save for their futures. But the foolish man spends whatever he gets. So at some point you get wisdom and you say, you know something, is not just about today. It's not just about keeping up with the Joneses. It's not just about having what I think I need right now because haste leads to poverty. Haste leads to waste. I, I, I got to stop and realize it's not about today only. See here's a principle my wife and I have always had and that's this. You can play now and pay later or you can pay now and play later. But at some point you're going to have to pay. It's a whole lot easier when you don't have a lot of money to plan with a budget than when you have a lot of money. So some people say, well, I'll wait till I have more money before I start planning. It doesn't work that way. You start now. So three rules to a budget when you're married. Number one, write this down. In your marriage, it ought to be a mutual decision. So, you know, my wife and I, we dialogue. I, I, there's some hobbies. I have some expensive hobbies. I like biking and 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 the bikes I have are not Walmart bikes. They cost a little bit of money. And my wife and I have to talk. Can we afford it? Is it okay? Can we do this? And and I don't go out and buy something without her knowing it because that's just not going to be good for our marriage. Vice versa with my wife. We don't make major financial decisions without, without our, each other's mutual. And, and so when it comes to a budget, and, and you agree upon the purchase, but you also agree upon this is what we can afford, this is what it looks like, this is where we're at, and it has to be agreement. It can't be one like, well, I don't care what she says or he says, I deserve what I want. It doesn't work like that in marriage. Guess what? It works through mutual decision. You work together. You come into agreement is what they call that. And, and you have to agree and, and there are some of us in this room, we have financial decisions that are problems in our home because we, quite frankly, don't want to listen or submit to, the, to, to a decision based upon a husband and wife together. And it could be a, a wife who spends whatever she wants, where she wants, and buys clothes she doesn't need, or shoes and all that. Or it could be a husband who says, I want my toys or my snow machines, and I'll buy and I'll get her permission later on. You, 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 if you want... To have a good, strong marriage, you have to budget together and not spend money you don't have, or spend money the other, the spouse doesn't know if there's not an agreement on that. Does it make sense? So mutual decision number two, make it a matter of prayer. Make it a matter of prayer. There's been times in our life, my wife and I, we've been a part of a couple churches with building programs. In Las Vegas, the Lord spoke, we were part of a church in Vegas that grew from 2,000 to 5,000 when we were there, and they were in a building program, building buildings, and the Lord spoke to us a number, and that number that God spoke to my wife and I both meant we had to change our lifestyle. We had to do away with things that we liked because God spoke to us, but we prayed about it. God spoke to us. And so together we did it, and we fought for, we we didn't fight with each other, we fought for each other, alongside each other. We were in agreement. Because it was a mutual decision and it was a decision based upon prayer. And so there's things in our marriage that we've made decisions financially and it's been based upon what was not best for me only and at, at the lack of my wife or what's best for my wife was based on what's best for us. In fact, we haven't always made decisions on what's best for our kids. Because guess what? My kids are going to leave me. I have four daughters and I'm going to pay some guy to take them. They call it a wedding. And they're going to leave me. And my daughter sometimes says, well, how come you and mom are doing that? It's like, well, because I'm going to grow old with this woman and sip lemonade through dentures as you leave me. And I choose to make sure she still loves me at the end of my life. When it comes to budgeting, make it a mutual decision. Make it a matter of prayer. And it should be number three based upon goals. What are your goals? And and when you budget, that means I'm not making things out of haste. I'm not just making decisions right now. I'm looking at the big picture, long term, what's the best thing for not just now, but for long term. And there are decisions that affect tomorrow, today. It's called a budget. You can't spend all you have and hope to have enough when you grow old. And so it's called budget. It's a biblical principle. The, The third law we find, it's found in Proverbs chapter 15. This says, better a little, say little, with the fear of the Lord than great wealth and turmoil. Better a, let's unpack this for thought. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than a whole lot with what? Turmoil. Anyone want stress and turmoil in your life? Raise your hand real high. Anyone want your bedroom to be a place of turmoil and stress? Anyone want your kitchen table, dining table? No, we don't want it, but better a little. With what? The fear of God. If I read Proverbs correctly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the Bible says in Proverbs 28 that wisdom, is through wisdom a house is, a, is built, through understanding, it's established. And through knowledge, there's rare and precious treasures. It doesn't say through hard work a house. I would rather have a home with a little than a house that has a lot but a whole bunch of turmoil going around. And it goes on, it says, it's it better to have a little with the fear of God than wealth and turmoil. Better is a meal of vegetables where there's love than a fattened calf in hatred. What he's saying, there's a principle, there's a law here, and the law is this, enjoy what you have. It's better to have a little, and have a whole lot of love, and a whole lot of joy, and a whole lot of hope, than to have a whole lot, and life be hell around you. It's called the principle of contentment. It's enjoying what you have. Better a little with the fear of God than great wealth and turmoil. Better a little and having vegetables but great love than having the fattened calf and have hatred. See, here's the challenge. The challenge is we become so caught up in making a living, we forget to make a life with what we have. And the challenge is... Oftentimes in our culture, there, there's this principle that says, once I get enough, we'll settle down. When's enough? Well, when I get it, I'll know. But what happens is, is, is there's the temporary solution becomes a permanent lifestyle, and so you owe, you owe, you owe, so off to work you keep going. And, and so we have kids that don't have parents at home because mom and dad are always stressed out. And when they are at home, they're stressed out. And they, they, they owe so much the stress, the tension in the marriage. And so, so there's not joy. There's not the contentment. And so, so the, the part of the problem is this, is when you're poor, you worry about getting more. When you're wealthy, you worry about losing what you have. Where's contentment? Contentment. Is where you step back, and Solomon is saying, learn to enjoy what you have. See, so the bottom line in finances, it's not the amount, friends, it's the attitude. It's the attitude. Paul told Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul in Philippians said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation or whatever state I'm in. I've learned to be content, whether I have a lot, I'm content, whether I have a little, I'm content. I've learned to enjoy what you have. See, here's the thing. If you think joy's on the other side of a little bit more, you're always not, not going to be content with what you have. You're not going to enjoy the marriage you have. You're not going to enjoy the family you have because you think, if I have more, I can do a better vacation. Well, well, well what's the difference between? See, here's the deal. I, I don't know if it's the quantity. It's important as much as the quality of my relationship. How, how, it's how I spend, it's the attitude. I, I remember we're driving down the hill in Oregon, or excuse me, we're living in, in, in Anchorage for a while. And, and uh, uh, my, my wife and I, again, we, we live a, a lifestyle that we're blessed with what we have, but we've made really good decisions for 25 and almost 26 years of marriage, and 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 we don't carry lots of excess debt. Our houses are only loan. And, and 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 we've done well with those things. But I remember we're driving down the road, and and I I, I took a major pay cut when I moved from Vegas up to Alaska, um, to work for the district office for the Sons of God. I took a, a pay cut, and things were tight. And and uh, um, we left in 2008 when the housing market crashes. So our house is upside down in Vegas, but. Um, we thought, well, I'll work at McDonald's if I had to pay, pay the loan off. I'm not going to let it go back to the bank and lose it all and praise God that we didn't get rid of it because now, you know, but, it does, um, but, but in the process, we're driving down a hill in Anchorage and, and my kids were getting dropped off. We're on the south side because the test scores were higher there and, and, and we're driving down somewhere. My wife's going to drop my kids off somewhere for a birthday party. And one of my daughters says, mom, are we poor? And my wife says, what do you mean? Well, my friends don't shop at Value Village like we do. And my wife goes, no, we're not poor. We just choose to spend our money differently. We're okay with Value Village. (laughs) We're okay with someone else spending the high premium price and we get it for a cheaper cost. We're okay. North Face is North Face. They don't check to see if you bought it at Nordstrom or at Value Village, right? Or eBay. But the principle is this. The principle is is we just grew content with, you know, we don't have to go work our tails off to make more money so we can buy things that we don't need. Let's make sure our house is a home. Again, wisdom builds the house. Understanding establishes it. Knowledge is rare and precious gifts. Rare and precious gifts don't come from money. They come from wisdom and the application of that wisdom, which is understanding, and then learning. And your house can be full. And, and so you can raise kids. You can raise, your home can be a place. Contentment is the goal. And there's one final principle, and I start. And it's number four, because had it started out as number one, you'd have thought like, oh, well, uh, I don't know if I have to listen today. Because the, 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 the fourth principle is called the principle of the tithe, or the law of tithing. And the moment I say tithe, you're like, oh, great. What's in it for me? Oh, they just want my money. No, 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 no. Proverbs. Solomon said in Proverbs, chapter, chapter three, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crop. Honor the Lord with what? With your wealth. Honor God with your wealth. And, and, and so it's the, the law number four is tithing. It's giving back to God 10%. It's the principle of putting God first. If you put God first, your finances, he'll help you with the rest. But you honor him with your first. And I think there's three reasons we tithe. I think, and, and, and there's three purposes. The first purpose has a past purpose. Because tithing shows Gratitude. God, I'm so thankful for what you've done. I learned early on, my, my, uh, when things were tight in the 80s in, in the farming industry, and my dad, my dad had built some things on a barn, farm, and interest rates went to 12.5%, 13%. Um, and so there's a difficult season, and, and so he's paying 13 14% interest on a, on a million and a half dollar loan back then in the 80s, which was a lot of money, still is a lot of money. And, and things were tight. And I remember one of his dairy farming friends who called him up and says, Larry, how can you afford to tithe? And I remember my dad goes, and it was back when the cordless phone of my dad had gotten in from the barn and we were eating dinner and, and, and we're having sloppy joes, I think, you know, and there we are. And, and oh, hi, Chuck. Larry, how can you afford it? And my dad had on speakerphone because my dad wanted to be able to eat while he's talking. And, and Chuck goes, Larry, I, I, I know you tell me I have to tithe, but I can't afford to tithe. And my dad says, Chuck, you can't afford not to tithe. Well, I don't know. And my dad says, I tithe because God has blessed me. And I believe he's going to continue to bless me. But I tithe because of what he's done. Gratitude. I'm so thankful that he gave me the seeds to plant. So I'm giving him the first fruits because he gave me the seeds to plant. Number two, the second reason we tithe we tithe is because it's a reminder for the present. Moses in Deuteronomy, they're on their way to the promised land. He says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in every area of your life. Tithing teaches you to put God first in every area of your life. Put it first. So tithing does. Tithing doesn't say, well, I'll give God my leftovers. Tithing says, I'm, I'm going to give to God first, and he takes care of the leftovers. And, and, and thirdly, tithing is a step of faith for the future. I heard a story once um, about a gentleman. He's in his mid-60s. He's walking to the Mojave Desert. He runs out of water. He, he's gonna, he, he feels like he's going to die without water. You ever been so thirsty you feel like you're going to die? This guy's in the desert. He's in the middle of the Mojave Desert. He comes up to, there's, there's a known path. And there's a well there with a pump. And he starts pumping the well. No water comes out. He reads a sign underneath that says this. Dig down about a foot in front of your well and you'll find a container. Open the container. There's a glass of water. Use the water to pour down the pump. It'll prime the pump. And he says, and it says begin to for a minute and a half pump. And after a minute and a half, you'll have more water than you'll ever need. And before you're done, fill the glass back up and bury it. Now, how many of us in here would go like, well, how do I know the pump's still going to work if I pour the water in the pump? So there's some of us in here that would drink the water because we don't have the faith that the pump would work. It's like tithing. God says, pour the first glass down the pump to prime the pump and see what I don't do on my end when you prime the pump first. But well, there's some of us that would drink the water because we don't have the faith that the pump works. But God said in Malachi, he said, test me in this. See if you don't, he says, tithe. Don't rob me, tithe. Test me and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessings that your barns can't contain. It's the principle of faith for the future. And it goes on, it says this, not only will he pour out more blessings, But he'll restore the years the locusts have stolen. Anyone want God to restore the locusts that have been stolen? Anyone want God to turn back yesterday and change tomorrow? I'll tell you right now. it's, It's law number four on this piece of paper. But I'll tell you right now. If you don't do law number four first, nothing else works. You can have a budget... You can be in agreement with your spouse but if you're not in agreement with biblical principles it doesn't matter how try you you're like a hamster on a wheel you'll keep spinning until you put god first seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you it's a biblical principle it works if you work it there's things that work and i can tell you right now god has a ton in fact, I want to encourage you to do this. Uh, maybe may some of you have a Bible reading plan. Maybe you don't. There's something I do, I've done, I, 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 I do. I've done consistently. I read five Psalms every day. And I read a proverb every day. Uh, and, 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 and then I read something in the Old Testament, something in the New Testament. That, but every, I read five Psalms. And, and if you do that, it takes about a month to read through the Psalms. Psalms 19, that takes a little while. And and the Proverbs, there's thirty one Proverbs. You read it over and over and you start and, and what I what I do then is I take some of the verses that I really stand out to me and I put them in my in my I, I have a, 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 a flashcard app and I, I memorize. I, I memorized this last week. Uh Psalms eighteen verse two that says, In my distress I cried out to God. Yes, I prayed to God for help, and He heard me in his sanctuary. My cries reached his ears. I memorized Jeremiah chapter 32 This says, call on me and I will hear you and I will answer in great and mighty things I have in store for you. There's biblical principles, friends. If you put Him first, life works. You can do all the stuff you want in life. I can tell you right now, if you really want a marriage to work, you make God number one and your spouse, number two, you put him first, put his principles first, begin to know, the, the, when it comes to finances, know the health of your flocks, so know where your resources are, what you owe, what you own, what you earn, and how you spend it. Budget, plan, but i tell you right now, put God first. That's the most important thing to do. Now maybe you're here today, you're watching online. And putting God first is an, it's, it's an, it's an, aber- it's not, not th- a thought that comes natural. Maybe you're here, you're far from God, but you realize, I've never put God first, but I want to start today. It doesn't start with your money, it starts with your heart. Put God first. I have a question for you. If you die today, you know for sure you go to heaven. If you don't know that question, see, here's what I know. There's an expiration date on the milk carton of every one of our lives. None of us are promised tomorrow. We don't know how long we're going to live but we know when we die we can know where we're going to live with God in heaven or separated from God in the place of eternal darkness the Bible says maybe you're here you're watching online you're not in right relationship with Jesus it's as easy as A B C A admit you sinned. B believe that Jesus died for your sins and C confess Jesus as the Lord of your life I'm going to pray with you right now would you bow your heads if you never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life You've never made him your savior or life leader. Just pray this personally as I pray out loud. Dear Jesus, today I admit I've sinned. I believe you died on the cross to forgive me. And I confess my sins to you. And I make you the Lord of my life. Lord, I choose to make you my life leader today. Help me serve you the rest of my life in Jesus' name. And all, everyone said amen. Be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church.